Well, the weather is finally starting to warm up after daylight savings time is so is the Colorado Buffaloes men's basketball team who have now won three straight as they head into the Pac-12 tournament in Las Vegas. Welcome in to another edition of the Runaround on Ralphie Report Radio. We have to talk about the basketball team, obviously. We'll preview the whole Pac-12 tournament, their win against USC, among other things. And also, today Mel Tucker had his spring football press luncheon, and we'll have to hear from him later in the show as he talks about the extended strength and conditioning program. And I want to start off today by talking a little bit about spring football. Now, Mel Tucker coming in had a big task at hand and obviously a large challenge with a team that was coming off a really, really disappointing season, uh, losing seven straight games. And one of the things he talked about today was the longer workouts and the trust that this group has under him. I mean, as great as Mac McIntyre was at being a player's head coach, I felt he kind of took it easy on the guys at times. And that was probably something that translated over to the playing field once the season started. But, you know, Mel Tucker has really cramped down on him. He's been aggressive. He comes from the SEC. He has a much tougher, uh, more hands-on coaching style, so to speak, than Mike McIntyre did. And Tucker said today when talking about things that, you know, players were very receptive to his tough coaching and they they trusted him. They know that he's been uh, to very big places, obviously, as a defensive coordinator at Georgia, um, working under Kirby Smart. He took that. He's been in the college football playoff and they understand that when he's being tough on them, it's because he wants them to succeed. And, you know, just talking to a couple of players, I think that's something that's really different with him. And they, that they really like and embrace as well. But another thing he talked about today was the extended spring practices. Um, with Mike McIntyre, they had strength and conditioning, a winter strength and conditioning session that lasted four weeks. With Mel Tucker, they have a nine-week strength and conditioning winter session that kind of pushed back spring football a little bit. Spring game isn't for another month and a half. And here's what he had to say about the rationale behind that. We're right at the end of our fourth quarter strength and conditioning program, which uh, is a nine-week program. Um, I think in the past, uh, the team has maybe uh, worked out maybe for four or five weeks and then started spring ball. Um, One of the first things I wanted to do when I got here was to push spring back, uh, uh, spring ball back as far as possible to give us uh, enough time to get these guys in shape and... uh, and we've done that. Drew's done a great job uh, with the strength and conditioning. Uh, when the uh, coaches came off the road from recruiting, uh, the coaches got involved also, and um, the team was uh, they're, they're, they've really shaped up. They're, they look like they're in really good condition. And I think we'll be able to have a very uh, efficient and effective spring ball. So I'm very excited about that. And it really is, to be honest with you, all about that attention to detail like Tucker talked about. I mean, four weeks is probably sufficient, but he wants to make sure his guys are physically sound from a strength and conditioning standpoint. He doesn't want them even worrying about the skills and the football aspect of things until they're physically ready to go out there and play. And, you know, when you look at teams in the Pac-12 that have kind of been successful using this SEC-type mentality of being really strong 
and sound in the trenches. The Utah Utes are one that really comes to mind, uh, a team that likes to play great defense and run the football and be really physical up front. The Washington Huskies from the Pac-12 North, another team that kind of utilizes that mentality in a sense. You know, they're very focused on the physical aspect of things, and I really like where, where Tucker is mentally in terms of getting this team ready to, you know, really start the physical um, part, of, part of playing football. And, you know, as we head into spring practice, I just think they're going to be more focused because, you know, he's set the tone early. He's shown them what needs to happen, and I really like that about Mel Tucker. Another thing he talked about that I found interesting was the fact that all guys pretty much start with the clean slate coming in uh, as he watches them. You know, he said he watched some film, uh, he did some stuff, but he said he wasn't going to evaluate anything until he saw these guys go out there on the field and see what they they could do after being coached up his by his guys. And, you know, I thought that was interesting on a couple of different regards. For one, you know, when guys are in starting positions, sometimes you see them become somewhat complacent in a sense. They stop working as hard. And, you know, I think that we saw that with a couple of guys where their performance and production trailed off a little bit, probably because they just felt comfortable with where they were at. And, you know, there were a couple other guys who I felt weren't getting the playing time they deserved simply because they were in McIntyre's staff doghouse, so to speak. And, you know, he it's once you get in a bad standing with the coach, it's kind of hard to get out of that. And I think that's something good with Mel Tucker. These guys get to start over. Um, they get a fresh opportunity. And maybe we see some of these underclassmen who weren't as good or getting as much playing time slowly start to emerge simply because they feel, you know, more comfortable under him and like he utilizes them better. And, you know, obviously he's pushing everyone. So I like the fact that there's going to be a clean playing field, so to speak, and uh, I think that's that's an area where Mel Tucker has done an excellent job, you know, showing guys that you have to earn it. Um, sometimes with Mike McIntyre, I simply did not get that impression. I thought that, you know, he would give out starting roles, and once people were in that role, that was kind of it. Tucker is saying you have to go out and earn it every day. You have to work for it, and I think that's going to really bode well going forward, especially for some of these guys who struggled um, to get along with the coaching staff in the old regime. Anyway, talking a lot of football, obviously, but the main attraction for this week is the Pac-12 tournament going on out in Las Vegas, Nevada. The Buffs last weekend ended their season on a very high note with a 78-67 win over the USC Trojans. I was very impressed in that game to be completely honest with you. And that was probably the best half, second half. That second half was the best half of basketball that Colorado has played all season, in my opinion. And it really epitomized how this team has evolved and why they're so different than they were two months ago um, coming out of Hawaii in the Diamond Head Classic. I mean, they were not shooting the ball well in the first half. Only shot 49 percent or excuse me 38 percent from the field which is abysmal compared to 61 percent in the second half they were down by as many as double digits midway through the first half trailed 37 30 at the break and then in the second half they came out and destroyed USC outscored them 48 30 Tyler Bay had 12 points and route to his fifth straight double double and 
you know, it, it, this, this team, they, they never give up. They have that type of attitude. They continue to work hard. They don't get down when things aren't going their way. And a game like that, if, you played, if they played it about two months ago, I think the outcome simply would have been completely different just because of their makeup and their composure and the fact that they didn't have the mental toughness, so to speak, that they have right now. So very impressed with how this team has evolved. Speaking of which, I can't stop talking about him, but you know he, des- he deserves all the attention um, that he's getting. Tyler Bay has been absolutely outstanding. He was named the Pac-12 Player of the Week. Both he and McKinley Wright were named first-team All-Pac-12 players at their respective positions. The evolution of Tyler Bay from year one to year two has been absolutely outstanding. I mean, as a big, a lot of young bigs get in foul trouble, and, you know, we've seen it a little bit with Evan Batty, but I, w- I really think that's one area where Tyler Bay struggled a lot, and he's he's turned the corner in a number of different regards. He's being more aggressive on the offensive end, has better positioning and posture on the defensive end, and if he can play like he did against, you know, the, the final quarter of the season, Colorado is going to be a very hard team to beat. He is such a good weapon for them, and, you know, it's really, really impressive. But, you know, I think the two most integral players to Colorado making a run in the Pac-12 tournament are going to be Evan Batty and Tyler Bay. Evan Batty, another outstanding performance against USC, guarding Rakosevic, Rakosevic, excuse me, Nick Rakosevic. He had four fouls in the game, and he's a hard guy to referee simply because of how big he is. Tad Boyle talked about that a little bit after the game. But he did a pretty good job defending him. And on the offensive end of the floor, he was a weapon. He had 21 points in 25 minutes of action. When he stays out of foul trouble, it seems like the team just feeds off his energy. Both, you know, in terms of how energetic he is on the court and how hard he's playing. That's what's the most impressive thing about Evan Batty to me. And if those two guys can play well, I think they have a very good shot at making a run in the tournament. And talking about how well they play, I think we've kind of forgot about the man behind all this, Tad Boyle. He has juiced every ounce of potential out of this Colorado Buffaloes team, and it's quite honestly amazing. You know, they, they're a young team, and they were having really rough spans, but kudos to him to keeping all of them confident, in good standing, level-headed, because that's something that's not easy to do in any regard, and he's been outstanding at it. And he has them probably as the hottest team in the Pac-12. It's really incredible. And looking ahead to their matchup against the Cal Bears, a month ago, Cal was the type of team that you wanted to play in the first half. You, would, you could have called them the bad news bears because of how much they were struggling. But now they've completely turned things around. And I would have said getting the five seed was even more important than it was in years past simply because you would have an easy matchup against Cal. But you know what? College basketball, and specifically the cannibalistic Pac-12 where everybody beats everybody, anything can happen. We've seen teams in last place win the Pac-12 tournament. So anything goes at this type of time of year. And Cal is riding a three-game win streak against Washington, who's the best team in the conference, Washington State, 
who, while they've struggled, is not an easy matchup by any means. And then they beat Stanford to close out the regular season. And three of their players are playing as good as any three-player combo in the league. Connor Vanover, their big man, who's had a really rough roller coaster ride of a season, had a season high against Stanford with 24 points. Darius McNeil, their young guard, has come along. And so is Justice Suing, who ranks 12 in the Pac-12 in scoring. This is by no means an easy game for Colorado. I think what they need to do to win is keep is get Tyler Bay involved early on, push him right at Vanover, because that's how Colorado found some success against Cal last time, is they got Vanover in foul trouble. They pushed the ball inside a lot and were very physical with them. And credit to Cal because they've been a more physical team in the second half of the season. But I think if Colorado can out-physical them inside and shoot well from the perimeter and not turn the ball over, I think they'll win this game. Cal does a lot of good things decently, but they're, they're not great at anything. They're kind of a Swiss Army knife in that type of sense. But this is a game that Colorado should win. Now, looking ahead to theoretical situations, I don't want to do that um, despite the fact that, you know, anything can happen. If, if they do win this game, I'm going to jump the gun a little bit simply because I won't have another podcast out until next week, hopefully talking about a really good Buffs tournament run, even if they don't win it, that sees them probably getting an NIT berth. The thing about Colorado this year is they're going to have to go through Oregon State and Washington to win the tournament. If they beat Cal, they play Oregon State. And then if they beat Oregon State, they play Washington in the semifinals. So they're probably going to have to beat arguably the two best teams in the conference to make it to the, even make it to the finals, which is amazing. But I think Oregon State, while a very good team, I think Colorado matches up well with them. Remember, last time these two teams played, Colorado only lost 76-74. Oregon State beat them in the second half. Colorado had a great first half and kind of fell asleep at the wheel. And it was at the CU Event Center. But at the same time, that was a month ago. And I think Colorado is a much better team. And it was probably Tyler Bay's worst game of the season. As a matter of fact, Tad Boyle called him out after the game, saying he he questioned his effort and didn't want him in there because he wasn't seeing the type of intensity he liked. But I think, you know, when you when you look top to bottom at both teams' starting lineups, I think Colorado can play a good defensive game against Oregon State. They can utilize their size on them, and I think they match up well with them. Now, Washington is another story. I mean, the Huskies are the coldest they've been all season, but they're going to come ready to play in the Pac-12 tournament. And they're going to play either Stanford or, U- or Arizona or, Su- or USC in the second round. And I don't think that's a really tough matchup, to be completely honest with you. I don't really think either of those teams pose that much th- of a threat to them. I mean, I know they lost to Oregon, and I know they lost to Cal, but when you look from a matchup perspective, Arizona's in a funk right now with all that's going on with Sean Miller. And USC is an average team at best on a good day. They're, ju- they're just not very good at anything. So I think Washington will definitely beat them. But looking at Colorado's matchup 
with the Washington Huskies. The Huskies have beaten them twice. And despite what the score said and despite the fact that Colorado was in within single digits both times, the game, neither of the games were particularly close. But Colorado cannot dig a hole for themselves against Washington. Because what I've noticed is if they, if, if they get there and if they play Washington, when they've played the Huskies, they've gotten in a deep hole early on. And while they've been able to fight back, it seems like they start to force shots. They go into panic mode because they know how good the Washington Huskies are as a team. They're very, very difficult to beat, and you can't make many mistakes. And they committed 16 turnovers the last time the two teams met, which Washington cashed in for 18 points. So you have to play very mistake-free basketball when you play up against the Washington Huskies. I'll, I'll, say, I'll say that much. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Going back to football for a second, though, and then we'll conclude with the most intriguing first-round matchup of the Pac-12 tournament, something I forgot to talk about earlier. Mel Tucker announced three quality control hires for um, his staff. Will Piegler will be the offensive quality control coach. Brian Cook will be doing it on the defensive side. And Reed Helm will be the special teams quality control coach. So Will Piegler is a guy who worked with him at Georgia as the quality control coordinator or assistant offensive line coach. And I think he kind of reinforces his mentality that you need to be tough in the trenches to win games. That's, that's something I've noticed uh, with Mel Tucker. He wants guys who are going to be tough, and Piegler is exactly that. And he has a diverse background at out as well. He coached tight ends at Valdosta State. He was an offensive line coach at Coffeyville Community College, where both Drew Lewis and Juwan Winfrey went, as well as Itawamba College. And then he did quality control for stints at Louisiana Lafayette, where he was with Jay Johnson, and Minnesota. So this is a guy who kind of, you know, is ha- has a lot of background in a diverse range of areas. And that's, that's, that's a difference between McIntyre's staff and Tucker's staff. Brian Cook, who I'm going to talk about in a second, has 19 years of coaching experience, and he's the defensive quality control coordinator. The Buffs' last defense quality control coordinator, Dalman Gibson, had been a graduate assistant previously. And same with Matt DiPrato, who was their special teams quality control coordinator. So Tucker's bringing in guys who have a lot of uh, position coaching experience to coach the quality control. And I think that helps because it gives you a different vantage point and a perspective. And in your role doing quality control work, which involves, you know, a lot of breaking down film, understanding the technical concepts, I think being able to put yourself in the shoes of the position coach and understanding what, you know, the positional guys go through is huge. Brian Cook was 
last season at Georgia Tech as a quality control coordinator, but he also was an offensive coordinator for Tyson Summers when he was the head coach at Georgia Southern, and he was also a co-offensive coordinator at Cal Poly. Now, being on the defensive side of the ball, now you, you really get to see things, you know, what's the offense trying to do here? What, what's their strategy? From a strategic aspect, I think it's huge. And that's why I really like the hire of Brian Cook as well. is because he's done this for so many years that he's almost like Yoda in a sense. He just has so much knowledge and understanding of everything that goes on from both sides of the ball. And he also, coached, he also was a wide receiver at Ithaca College in upstate New York many years ago. So he has a very diverse range of experience in terms of his coaching career. Piegler obviously has a lot of experience as well, but all of it seems to be geared to, toward offensive line, tight ends, and, you know, the, the offensive side of the ball, which is good. But Cook has experience on both sides of the ball, which gives him a better perspective of all these types of situations. Another thing that was announced was that outside linebackers coach Ross Ells will also serve as a special teams coordinator. Now, last year, there was no real special teams coordinator. It was kind of something where um, the duties were split up. Obviously, Ells played a big deal, big role in coaching special teams. But, you know, Darren Chiverini, who did it at Texas Tech, and, you know, some of the other coaches also kind of had a hand in game planning for, for special teams and that type of thing. But, you know, having a more formal role for Ells will allow him to focus on that more and, you know, really pull up his sleeves and dig deep and have a big part in the game planning uh, for special teams guys. And I really like that hire. Ells did an excellent job coaching up Drew Lewis, who, you know, he wasn't as good as he was last year. And he wasn't as good as he was in 2017 last year, but, you know, he, Ells did a good job getting him ready to play. He's done a really good job with all the linebackers. So I really like that move and you know, I think it's something that's going to pay off down the road, improving a bus, buff special teams unit, which at times last year was absolutely atrocious. I mean, in the last game against Cal, they couldn't catch a punt to save their life. They fumbled two of them. I think we'll see better attention to detail simply because the duties are not so convoluted now. We have one guy who's focusing on special teams, and that's going to be his job. Obviously, he has two jobs now, but he, he gets to focus a lot on that aspect of thing, and he understands it's his role to have players ready to, uh, you know, understand the special teams concepts and go out there and perform. And he, he really, it, it, he, he's taking ownership over it, is what I'm saying. And I, I like having a formal structure and role for special teams, specifically, because it, it is something that can win and lose games, and... Um, an aspect of Colorado's game that wasn't so good at junctures last season. So I love all the hires. I love Piegler because of the toughness that he's reinforcing as an offensive line and tight ends coach by trade and how he's going to bring that to the team and, you know, brainstorm more ways they can be tough up front. Cook is a guy who understands what offenses are trying to do since he's been there and done that. And he's going to be good on the defensive side in terms of game planning. And I think Reed Helm, is, who I haven't really talked much about, is a good hire as well. All of them are good. And I really like what Tucker's doing. Anyway, I want to preview the Pac-12 tournament for just another second. 
before I sign off for this week. Three first-round matchups aside from Colorado Cal. Washington State versus Oregon, Arizona versus USC, Stanford versus UCLA. I think Washington State against Oregon is going to be the most intriguing because despite Washington State's record, out of all the teams in the Pac-12, I think they're, they have the best shot at beating anyone anywhere any day. They have the best offensive player in the Pac-12 and Robert Franks, and C.J. Ellerby can absolutely go off on any given night. So I really like their chances uh, to go in and beat Oregon, despite the fact that Oregon is coming off a momentum-swinging win against Washington. Now, giving you my predictions for the first round, I think it's something that I have to do. I think Cal Colorado is going to beat Cal. I don't know if they'll be able to blow them out by as much as fans want them to, but I think, I think they'll pull away with the victory. I think... Washington State is going to be the upset. They're going to beat Oregon. I think USC beats Arizona. And I think Stanford beats UCLA. So there you have it. My picks are Washington State, USC, and Stanford to move on to the second round of the Pac-12 tournament. Anyway, I, I want to say go Buffs now because they have a big stretch potentially coming up. If they beat Cal, they're going to play two games in two days if they, you know, they're going to be playing four games in four days potentially. That's going to be, it's, it's going to be an endurance test for this team that's used to playing at altitude and having that to their advantage. But anyway, be sure to strap in, catch your golden Buffaloes playing out in Vegas. And I'll recap everything for you on another edition of The Rundown on Ralphie Report Radio with Jack Stern next week.